God, for the blood tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you would turn the word of the Lord tonight to the book of Luke. So good to be in the house of God, isn't it? Praise God. Amen. It's the, it's the, it's the best place in town to be. It really is. I realize tonight they're having a, having a dinner tonight in the back. And I'm excited for them. But it just feels good in here this evening. It really does. The book of Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And Jesus answered, answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. It appears that it was a dangerous place to have walked, a stripping place, a shaming place, a place that seemed like nobody cared half dead and just left him there maybe it's because look at the next verse and by chance there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him he passed by on the other side the priest didn't care likewise a Levite those that were born to minister to people when he was at the place came and looked on him and passed by on the other side and he didn't care his whole reason for existence was to minister to broken people. He didn't care. The person had the position to minister to broken people. The priest, but he didn't care. But verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, he had no position and he had no pedigree. Everybody shout, but he cared. As he journeyed, came where he was. Everybody shout evangelism. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went, when he saw him, something moved with him. Something, you can't, you can't teach that. You, you really can't teach compassion. You, you can't buy it at the store. It, it's not for sale anywhere. But when he saw somebody broken, something moved in him and went to him, everybody say he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him in his Honda minivan Toyota Camry Chevy pickup truck clunker, I don't know why, you know, whatever. However you got here. And brought him to the church. To an inn and took what? He took care of him. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I've come to take care of you. know why people are giggling but you're laughing for some reason you're like really and on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence gave them to the host and said unto him take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again I will repay thee amen it was a safe place 
It was a trusted place. It was a caring place. It was a giving place. It was a helping place. Amen. It is the purpose of the church. I'd like to preach tonight on the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. Would you lift your hands and ask God to speak to you? Go ahead and do that all over the room. Lord, we love you. Oh, Jesus, we praise you. Amen. 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 Turn to a few people around you and say, you're at the safest place in town. Praise God. I'm very glad for the church. You may be seated. I'll never forget when, when Paul Reynolds, pastor in Canada, told the story. Many of you have heard me tell it before, but I feel to tell it again. It's very moving. He said, I'll never forget when I received a phone call from the police that said, Pastor Reynolds, you need to get to your church. There's a dead man on the steps of your church. He said, I'll never forget arriving at the church. And he said, when I got there, there was a blood trail that went up the steps to the church and said, a man was dead with his hand in the handle of the door that entered the church building. He uh, began to inquire and realized there was a blood trail from this man all the way down the sidewalk because this man was, was a neighbor not too far down from the street of the church. And what had happened was he had been stabbed by his girlfriend. And the closest place that he thought where he could find help was the church. And he preached a message that I will never forget. He said, what would he have found if he would have got inside? Can I tell you today that every day that we live, there's desperate people near the church. I hope they wouldn't be disappointed when they come inside the church. But when they get here, they would find what they're looking for. How many believe there's a healer of the mind in the building tonight? Do you believe there's a healer of the family in this building tonight? I believe here there's a healer of the heart, a healer of the body. I do believe for certain that there's salvation for the soul. And we live in a generation that has been broken, left half dead, stripped of their purity, stripped of their joy, stripped of their reason for living. They get up and they go to bed. They get up and they go to bed. But there's no purpose. There's no destiny in their life. There's nothing to look forward to. They now have studied young people and they say they have more connections than they've ever had before and yet they're lonelier than they've ever been. We're living in a place where suicide is rampant and, and people are reaching for just something that will make them feel. As one of my neighbors told me recently, he said, I said, you're numb. I said, that's your problem is you can't feel anything. And he said, you nailed it. I can't feel anything. And I began to pray with him and talk to him. And we begin to pray together and sing songs together and tears begin to run down his face. And what I'm saying to you is that what the world can't offer, matter of fact, it's the opposite of what the world offers. For John 10, 10 says the thief, speaking of the devil, he's come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He would love nothing more than for you to lose everything that's valuable to you. 
every relationship that's valuable to you, your relationship with your family and your children. He would love nothing more than to destroy that and to make you feel guilty, to make you feel condemned and that you can never get back what you once had in joy and peace. But I come to tell you, I know one that comes to give life and it more abundantly. Yeah, we know what the devil can do, but can I tell you, I know a God that can put everything back together. Somebody shout, he can put it back together. God forbid that the church would ever become like the priest or the Levite in the story that I read here. God forbid that there would ever be a moment in your life that your purpose of existence is when you see somebody broken that you go around them. God forbid the church becomes so busy from within, ministering to one another, having our fellowships and gatherings together that we do not understand the purpose of the church is to help those that are broken. Amen. We shouldn't be so needy as as tenured saints that the church doesn't have time to reach for people that's never had an opportunity to be healed. Can you say amen? There's got to get something inside of us that we're not so busy that we go around the need. There should never be a sinner in this altar. Oh, begging God and seeking God for forgiveness. And we sit back in the church with our arms folded as if it really doesn't matter. There should never be a person that's hungering for God, seeking for eternity. Oh, I feel like preaching here tonight that we're back there having conversations about fishing and hunting and shopping and politics while there's somebody up here lingering in the altar for their soul is on the line. There ought to be something in the church that when we come here that we put off those carnal things when we get to his house and say that one more soul could be saved, that one more name could be written in the land book of life could I preach to the anchor this is not a fellowship hall this is a house of prayer and this is where the glory is where broken people can be healed brother Lee I'm convinced I'm convinced Jesus had to be troubled when a man came to him with a son that was a lunatic he was bound by a devil He was throwing, the the boy would throw himself in the flyer because of the demon possession that he had. He was bound by a spirit. And, And he came to Jesus and he said, I brought him to your disciples, but they could do nothing. I brought him to, I brought him to your followers, but they couldn't do anything about this situation. Jesus just spoke a word, how many know he was healed, delivered of that spirit? Amen, immediately delivered. And, and the disciples went over and said, Jesus, hey, can, how did you do that? He says, some things come only by prayer and fasting. Amen. That's why this Friday, we've done this for nearly 15 years, probably 14 years. We have something called 24-hour prayer. It's not limited to seasoned saints, and then it's not limited to new saints either. Amen. It's limited to the body that believes. We take one hour slots starting at 5 p.m. on Friday night, one hour slots at a time, and go for 24 hours praying for this city. That's its focus. Everybody shout 24-hour prayer. You know why? Because we believe nothing happens without prayer and fasting. Do you believe that prayer makes a difference? We get in here and we start praying. We, we, we pray against drug addiction. 
We pray against the spirit of fear, spirit of bondage, spirit of perversion. How many know that? We pray for our politicians. We do. We pray for safety and security. When we start a 24-hour prayer, they can hardly get a drug, a drug vehicle through this, through this city without it being pulled over. When we started a 24-hour prayer, there was more drug bust. It come out in the newspaper. Drug bust on, on Saturday morning. Never seen the, the authorities operate together like this before. It'd be state police and city police and the sheriffs operating before. Boy, they find dope on the side of the hills from drug cartel. One truck came through about a million dollars worth of, of drugs in it and was busted right here in town, going from one side of the country to the other. Just, just there was a, what, why? You say you take credit for that? Absolutely. You better believe we do at the anchor because we believe that if we unite together and pray, God starts doing what man cannot do. Prayer makes a difference. Do you believe that? I watched one man, two men join together, excuse me, Brother Noe, Brother Mark Mealy in Guatemala. There was drug cartel that ruled there. I, I, I reiterate stories, but it's okay. I, and we learn by being redundant, don't we? By repetition. And uh, Brother Noe was there in Guatemala and the drug cartel owned the area. You would see it on international news. 27 beheadings from right there where we have church now. 27 beheadings. Well, before one of our groups going down, they had nine beheadings of people where they drug cartel owned. They would go in and say, I want your farm. You said no, they'd kill everybody there. That's just how they did things. Brother Mark and Brother Noe went down there and drug cartel in the restaurants guarded with machine guns. Brother Noe got a holy anger about him. He says, my people. He was moved by compassion. It's not right. It's not right that the evil should be here. He, he stretched his hands out of the hotel and said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this city. To the unbeliever, it would be foolish. But to us, it's the power of God. I was there preaching in an open air, what they call a salon or an open air auditorium. I was there when the military came in, surrounded around the building that I was preaching in. You know, when, when military guys start walking around with machine guns, you're intimidated. But when you realize they were sent by God and they moved the most elite military of Guatemala into that jungle area, which is a, a, a poor area. They set their base up there, and they sent, when I was finished preaching, they said, we want to see the pastor. They asked for the Noah. He went down. They asked him to come and be the chaplain and to pray over their military. You think that's an accident? Come on, do you think that's coincidence? All the hundreds of thousands of people in Guatemala, and they asked for Noe. You know why they asked for Noe? Because Noe was the one that prayed. And now when you get there, you can't find drug cartel. On every street corner is a military man with a machine gun guarding that community. Why? Because when you start being moved by what God wants to do, you'll start seeing the results of what only God can do. And somebody's got to get stirred about Zanesville tonight. Come on. Somebody's got to get troubled about drug addiction and suicide and immorality, somebody's got to get stirred. Apathy is disgusting to God. What is apathy? Apathy is an I don't care attitude. And, you know, go to church or not go to church. Pray, uh, I don't care. You know, nobody gets baptized. Well, you know, must not just be our season. Oh, nobody's being born again. Well, you know, I, maybe, maybe it's just, just don't care. Yeah, I don't care how many were here Sunday. I don't care, you know. 
Apathy is just, the Bible says that men should not live with apathy. They ought to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. That's apathy when you study it. You know what that means? The Bible says in Revelation, he said, I would you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spew you out of my mouth. You know what lukewarm is? You just hear. What I'm preaching to you right now, I'm not preaching to individuals. I'm just telling you where we should never get as a church. God forbid as a church, we're lukewarm. We just show up. Nothing moves us, nothing stirs us. Come on. When somebody repents of their sins, don't you think somebody ought to get happy about it? Hold on, let me, let me. If somebody repents and says, God, I give you my life, don't you think you ought to be happy about it? Hey, Brother Joe, wave your hand back there, buddy. He repented on Sunday, was baptized in Jesus' name. He used to work on my car, changing my tires. You know what I did? I called up some of my buddies. I called up some of my buddies and said, you know that big fish I caught and you saw the picture of? That big, that big salmon I caught? You know how fishing stories do? Yeah, they get bigger every week. I think it was about three foot when I caught it, but it might be four or five feet right now. I don't know. It's, it's expanding in my mind. Well, I've looked at that picture almost every day. I got so happy about that fish. I called my buddy up and said, I just caught a bigger fish. But it's not a fisher of fish. It's a fisher of men. Joe, I'd already told some people about you before you ever stepped foot in this church. I said, I've been working on some people and witnessing some people. I go to the same tire shop because I want to build a relationship with people so I can get to know them. If they need God, they'll have an access to him. I can't tell you how excited I am. I wish somebody jumped your feet and get excited with me over Brother Joe being baptized. Amen. Amen. That's what this is about. We can't let a church die in apathy. We're quite the opposite. I realize we're an exciting church. You get up on Sunday, we have great church. Sunday night, we have great church. On Wednesday, we have dynamic church. But you know how churches die? They become apathetic. Oh, just nonchalant. Honey, we gonna go to church tonight or not? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not really feeling up to it. I'm, I'm sure Pastor Bounds got it covered and the team's got it. They don't need us tonight. That's apathy. You know, I don't know Sunday. Oh, honey, we're tired. We had a busy weekend. God understands we've worked hard all week long. We need some shut-eye. Are you with me? That's how, what if everybody stayed home on Sunday because they were tired? What if everybody stayed home because they're, if we're not careful, we will allow apathy to destroy our relationship with our purpose. Now, let me talk to you about how to keep excitement in your walk with God. Keep God number one. Keep your ear to his heartbeat. Before you do anything else, talk to him about what is meaningful to him. God, you're the only one I know that knows what's gonna go on today. Lord, what would you like to see done today? Matter of fact, would you order my steps today? I don't want a day to be wasted. Lord, I believe there's somebody somewhere that needs what you've given me. My story, my testimony, my, the oil, the wine that was up on the Samaritan. That one was for healing, one was for rejoicing. How many believe God's not just gonna heal you, he's gonna put some rejoicing in your spirit? Amen, amen. People say, I don't understand down there at the apostolic church. 
One guy, my dad walked to a gas station one time and, and uh, he was on the other, he was, in, he was in the gas station with the guy that was a new convert, just giving his life to the Lord, been delivered from a bunch of stuff and just newly born again. And he invited somebody to church. He said, man, I'd like you to go to my, my church, this new convert said. Somebody new to church. Love for you to go to my church. He said, what church you go to? He said, Glen Ferris Epistine. He said, I heard they raised their hands down there. <laughs> raised their hands. Oh, my lands. They clapped their hands. In I went to a church one time, honest goodness. There's Christian singing going on, and they started singing. One guy in the room said, amen. The whole church turned around and looked at him. <laughs> they don't understand it. But you need to understand why we do what we do. Because I was broken, and he healed me. And all the joy that floods my soul. I was blind, but my eyes have been opened. I'm not what I used to be. He made a new man out of my life. You see, with healing comes rejoicing. Everybody shout, with healing comes rejoicing. You know how to stay saved is to stay rejoicing about being saved. Don't you let your experience die in apathy when you got the pressures of the day. Be seated for a moment. I'm gonna teach you how to worship. Don't you let your daily pressures from unbelievers and hateful bosses and, and uh, negative Nancys keep you from doing what you've been doing. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to stay excited about salvation. Amen. 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 Husband and wife were fussing all the way to church. Y'all have never done this. I think they were from Kentucky. I don't know. How about Michigan? That would make you feel better, wouldn't it? If I, they were probably from Michigan. They were fussing and fighting all the way to church. It's, let's just say it's Michigan. I said it's Kentucky. Somerset. I got family in Kentucky. Doesn't matter if you have family in Michigan. They got a football team up there you don't like, so I'll be all right. Up in Michigan. That's fussing and fighting. Kids had two or three blowouts. You know what I'm talking about. For all you new parents, let me just go ahead and help you. If you got a new baby, pack two extra outfits. Maybe three extra outfits. Because the Bible says, and it was one of those days. That's what the Bible says. They're fussing and fighting. All the way to church. He didn't help get the kids ready like he should have and she didn't get something done, and they're running later than they wanted. They fussed all the way to church. He walked in. She's walking in with kids. They've got all kinds of kids coming in the door with them. When they get in, he walks around, comes up on the pulpit. pulpit and he said, well, praise the Lord, everybody. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God? Boy, I went to singing, just happy, jumping around, worshiping. After church, he shuts the door on the driver's side, and he looks over and she's looking at him. You hypocrite. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? All oh, that fussing we were doing and crouching and complaining. You get up there, well, praise the Lord, everybody. He said, honey, 
I wasn't mad at God, I was mad at you. When you come to church, you might be mad at your boss, but don't you show out on God. It doesn't matter if it's Wednesday, I've come to praise him. I'm gonna lift up my voice and shout hallelujah. So go ahead and preach, pastor, because that promise is still mine. Come on, I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. Somebody shout hallelujah. Let me teach you a few things about praise today. Because in the church, people need to understand that there's victory in the building. You know how people understand there's victory in the building? It's not just one person excited. It's when there is agreement in the church where two or three, you can't be in agreement with one of you. Because when two of you get together, the pulpit and the pew, all I need is one to have good church. Just start agreeing. It creates an atmosphere of faith. If I'm up here saying stuff and you don't amen, people wonder what I'm saying. But when they start seeing people agree with what I'm preaching, are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on, somebody shout amen. Somebody shout yeah. You can shout hot dog or something, just shout something, amen. There needs to be a response from the congregation. The Bible says the promises of the Lord are yea, that's the pulpit, and that means there's no promise with no amen. That's why you gotta be attentive to the word of God. You ought to bring your Bibles with you. I really think, I know we're technologically advanced. We got phones and iPads and all this stuff. I think you need a written Bible with you. Some of you write notes in in the margins. You've been marked. I think this church ought to be a Bible-toting church. It's so quiet here. Where do the amens go? You know what you do when you don't say amen? You're saying, oh, me. You got me. I don't have my Bible with me tonight. You ought to bring your Bible. Fall in love with that book. Read it all the time. When you come to church and the preacher's preaching, some of you think I'm meddling because I've been funny, but I'm writing the Holy Ghost right now preaching to you. When the preacher's preaching, you ought to, you ought to amen as if you're the only one going to get the promise if you say it. And what happens when guests come and they see an amen corner, it causes people to look around and say, there's faith in this building. They believe that. A lot of people, when they come to church, they're looking around. You know, Who are all these crazy people clapping their hands? Look at that guy. Hey, honey, that guy over there just raised his hands. Look at him on the platform jumping up and down. What in the world's going on here? I don't know, but I feel something happening. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. It's Wednesday night, but the Holy Ghost is here. Not because just I'm here or you're here, but because we're in agreement. And the Bible says where any two or three will agree on any one thing, he said, I will do it. How many believe that? He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, he said, I am in the midst of them. You know what our guests need to feel? They need to feel the presence of God. You know what the saints need to feel? They need to feel the presence of God. Of God. Somebody shall praise him. Now be seated for a moment. I'm gonna to talk to you for a few minutes about praise. Praise in the Bible, you'll find different words for praise. I have seven of them. One word for praise, everybody shout praise. 
is the word yada. Everybody say yada. It means to throw, shoot, to cast the hands. Literally as if it's the hands of God. This is a time for us to come with thanksgiving in our hearts and our hands lifted for his faithfulness. Oh, you've been good to me. That is one way to praise him. You find that in scripture. When they would say praise him, that's what he would tell them all to do. To yada. Oh, thank you, God. You're faithful to me. Would you do that with me? Oh, thank you, God. Cast your hands. Thank you, God. What you're saying is God's hand has been faithful in my life. That's right. Has it been faithful to anybody? He's been faithful to me. Number two, you'll find there's a, there is a toda praise. Everybody so toda. It means confession with thanksgiving. This is a time of thanking God with hands raised for things promised but not yet received. It's not a thrown hand. It's just, I believe that something good is about to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But I've got my hand stretched for what he's about to give me. Come on, stretch your hand for what he's about to. Lift your hand. I just believe he's he's getting ready to give it to me. I've been praying for a long time. And I feel a word for somebody in this church right now. You listen to your pastor. When God does something, he does it speedily. The Bible says through her continual coming, there was a woman that that approaches the parable of the unjust judge. I mean, he wasn't even a good judge. He's a bad judge. He's, he, 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 he's, he's not just. He's not righteous. He, he, he can be bought, so to speak. And this woman, the widow woman, she didn't have anything to give him. She didn't have him buy her judgment. All she had was an annoying door knocking knuckle. Who is it? Judge, it's me. Will you avenge me of my adversary? Go away, woman. Next day, and the next day. The Bible says because of her continual coming, he avenged her of her adversary and he wasn't even just. He didn't care. He was just shoving her away. Now hear me, I got a word for somebody in this church been praying for a long time for your baby. The Bible says, how much more shall your heavenly father avenge you speedily? It might have been 10 years of no answers, but all of a sudden, boom, it happens like this week. Speedily. It appears that nothing has happened. Your prayers aren't being heard, but when God does it, it's just all of a sudden. Can you believe it's been three months since he come back to the Lord? Can you believe it's already been, been six months since they come back? You've already, it just happened. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's a lot of patience until now. There's a lot of patience until suddenly. Everybody shout, the patience to suddenly, when God moves and answers a prayer, it just, pow, it happens right now. Not on your own time, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm prophesying to some of you in this room, you've been praying, you've been seeking, but God said, I'm gonna do it, and when I do it, it's gonna be real fast. It's just gonna happen just like that. Do you believe that? Somebody shout hallelujah. If you believe it, that's a good time to say amen and jump up and throw your hands in the air and say, he's about to give me something I haven't received yet. A total praise. Somebody shout hallelujah. I got a couple more, a few more here. Y'all have a few more minutes? 
All right, Shabbat. Everybody shout, Shabbat. That means to loud, to commend praise, to boast. It means loud, loud adoration. That's right, Sister Margaret. Shout, triumph. Shabbat is a shout. It's what you would find that would happen right before the walls of Jericho come down. It's probably what happened when David released the stone from the slingshot into the Goliath's forehead. Yeah! Something that comes from within. It's not, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah! There are times for that in church that there ought to be a Shabbat when we shout together because there's a wall coming down. There's a breakthrough that's happening. I feel something moving. A Shabbat. Come on, won't you jump to your feet and practice it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Bible says shout, O inhabitants of Zion. That's what it's talking about. Shouting. Shouting, there's a time for shouting. Look at your quiet neighbor and say, there's a time for shouting. How many know there's a time to be quiet? And listen, you can't shout the whole time you're praising him, but there's times for it. There he is. I've watched moments in church. Everybody shout moments. Where somebody gets a breakthrough. They're on the edge of a breakthrough. They're on the edge of, of a promising. Hallelujah! And watch it break and the miracle take place when they shouted. Everybody say, there's a time for a loud shout. I have. I've seen people. Man, I feel a shout right now. I really do. I wish somebody that felt that, you believed you was on the edge of something, jumped up and shouted. This is your church to praise him. Hallelujah. Woo. A loud shout. Aren't you glad to be in a church where no one's turned around looking at you? You can worship the way you want to. Amen. That's what we need to understand. There's a time to be loud. Not all the time. Look at your neighbor and say, not all the time. It's a time to listen. Shabbat. There's one called Barak. Barak prays as kneeling, bowing in love and submission, adore, surrender, surrendering everything. Often translated as word bless. This is a time of surrendering our defenses and control and submitting ourselves to his leadership through kneeling prostrate before the Lord. This would be a Barak praise. I love you, God. I do it often in the church when we're singing about how great he is. Instead of going up, I go down. And there ought to be moments in your life that your act of worship is quiet and on your knees. Because you're much greater than I am. You're not submit. Come on, are y'all hearing me? 
I talk about how to keep passion and compassion in the church is when you worship the way he tells us to worship. And you get on, oh God, you're not submitted to me. Come on, people that don't do this, they start demanding God. Well, I'm not going to go to church because he didn't answer my prayer. Don't you talk like that. You got to trust him in his timing. Look at your neighbor and say, you'll mess it up if you rush it. You get on your knees. Oh, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? The presence of God is so real, you can't say anything. Oh, I love you, God. It's a passion of adoration of greatness. Amen. We need to practice that in our church. I think we ought to have services where everybody hits their knees. Somebody shout, Everybody. And adoration, and adoration to him. I want to move on to another one called zamar. It means to pluck, to make music, to sing, to play a musical instrument, to sing. Uh, Brother Derek, won't you come and the band and get a guitar, play something on the string instrument. Zamar means just to play an instrument to him. Do you have any musical gifting? Maybe you don't. You play the radio, I don't know, but you do something. Something in a Zamar praise lifts your spirit. Even the person that can't sing starts singing every now and then. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. you feel that come over you? How great. Close your eyes. How great is our God He's got a name above all names He is worthy of our praise how do you feel right now do you feel like crying <laughs> come on get to your feet wave your hands to the Lord thank you Thank you. Thank you, God, yeah. Put the words on the screen for a moment. He is worthy, worthy of our praise. And our heart will sing how great is our God. How many feel the presence of the Lord moving over you? It's because through Zamar, you've opened yourself to Him. Praise invites the Lord into your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Clap your hands and praise There's times for that, and we do that in our worship set at the beginning of service and throughout it. Another praise is called Tehillah. Tehillah. It's a general public praise song, a hymn of praise. Always found corporately. Generally spontaneous. Just like just now. That was what we did just now was a Tehillah praise. It was off the cuff. It was we united together in song to a God that's so great to us. Everybody shout Tehillah praise. How many felt God when you was doing that?
can't have a Tehillah praise by yourself. You got to be joined with people. That's why we gather. He said, shh. Joshua said, shh. Don't say anything. Don't blow the trumpets. Just walk silently until it's time. And on the last time around, when you hear the trumpet sound, shout. Because he did not want the wall to fall before it was time. Sometimes you got to understand there is power in what you're doing. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, there is power in praising God. I have watched people dance and be healed of incurable diseases. Dancing before the Lord. I have seen it. I've seen people in the church start worshiping and people around the room start being healed and nobody laid hands on them. But because while they were worshiping, God himself showed up in the building. You ever been to somebody's house and you could tell you weren't? They didn't want you there. It's called door knocking. Amen. How many's ever felt a hungry soul say, I'd love to talk to you? How many don't talk about it? My, my, my. I feel the Lord right now. When we come to this place, it's our job to let him know he's welcome here. And when you start singing and worshiping out of your heart, he shows up. And everybody in the building starts feeling it. Everybody say, Tehillah praise. Hallel praise means to be clamorously foolish. Make merry boast, make a fool, act madly. Act like a madman. Do you know that was one of the praises? Do you know that's where the word hallelujah comes from? Is from a hallel praise? My grandmother said right on this side of the church. What I'm talking about is when your praise makes no sense. You didn't think it up. It might be one of these numbers. It looks stupid. It looks silly. But not to God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's also a part of praise. When you're not doing anything for anybody else, it's for Him. Growing up in church, I've seen people do. <laughs> what are they doing? They're responding to God. My grandmother looked like she was directing traffic when she had danced in church. Sister Teresa, that's how she'd dance. 70s and 80 year old, but when she would, the glory of God. What it's saying is, David said, I would even worship more. You can mock me, Michael, if you want. And I'm going to tell you, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, don't ever mock somebody that's praising God. I'm talking about making fun. I'm talking about being critically, because Michael's womb was made barren because she mocked David when he danced before the Lord. There's times in church the Bible says to leap for joy. The Bible says dance before the Lord. What is it? It's praising Him. My wife, every now and then, get out and you'll see her run across the church here. Why? Because she's not even supposed to be able to walk on that leg. But that's a form of saying, you've been good to me. You've been good to me. Somebody shout praise. You in a church that's mundane, complacent, and lukewarm? 
Or you want a church that's on fire. That's exciting. That's your, you can't wait to get there. That when you get there, miracles happen and take place. I'm going to continue this next week, but I just felt like that you've got to feel free to worship. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. That's what the Bible says. Come on, everybody do that. Clap your hands, all you people. Ready? And shout with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Now here's what we're going to do. When we start singing songs on Sunday, worship Him. Adore Him. Amen. When we say somebody's repented or been baptized or received the Holy Ghost, you know what we need to do? We need to rejoice over it. The Bible says to rejoice with them that rejoice. Amen, amen. Don't you shout over a football game and come in here and get quiet. We're going to rejoice with you. And there's nothing like rejoicing over a sinner that gives their life to God. This church needs to be excited about sinners coming to God. Amen. The purpose of the church is to evangelize the unsaved. God didn't call us just to come here and see each other. God called us that every service we come in and talk about his goodness, somebody that's been come to church can have an experience with God. How many believe that? And when we leave, we're going to go become that person. I'm going to finish this. I have time because I, I did a two-fold message tonight. Talking about the purpose of the church. Compassion for broken people. And also, we need to praise Him. We do not want to lose zeal and excitement. Church ought to be excited. I want you to tap two or three people around you and say, church should be exciting. Come on, everybody say it with me. I was glad. When they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I want you to look at two or three people and say, I can't wait till Sunday. It's going to be awesome. I'm as excited about Sunday. Come on, clap your hands and praise him. Now here's one of the practices we have. If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And God will raise them up. If you need healing in your body, I want you to come. That is an act of worship to respond to that. You're saying, I believe God can heal me. Come. Elders, if you'd come. Ministry, if you would come. We're going to pray. Amen for Brother Shook here. Sister Julie, I see. Anybody else have sickness in your body that you need God to heal? I want you to come. It's an act of worship. Before you pray, hold on, elder. Let me give instruction. Look at all these people. One second, Brother Melik. One second. Elder Melik. Elder Melik, not yet. Elder Tom Melik. Not yet. Not yet. We want instruction here. Everybody that needs a miracle in their body. One of the acts of worship is we believe in the ministry of the church. How many believe that? We're going to anoint you with oil one at a time and we believe God is going to heal every single one of you that need a miracle. Now here's what they would say. Elder, I only stopped you because it's Wednesday and I'm teaching. The Bible says that the prayer of faith 
will save the sick. Everybody shout, save the sick. And God will raise them up. The prayer of faith would be this, Sister Julie. They would say, if God heals you, it means a prayer with a vow, will you serve him for the rest of your life? And that's why the next verse says that they've committed any sin, it'll be forgiven them. Why? They have made a covenant with God. It's the only place in Scripture where the word prayer of faith is used. It means a prayer with a vow. They would come to the preacher. That's why overseas a lot of times we will ask people to repent before we lay hands on them. Because they're making a covenant with God. I'm sorry and I will live for you. A lady was standing right there, Elder Melik, many years ago after I learned this. She had a blocked bow. And I looked at her and I said, Ma'am, what do you want God to do for you? She said, I have a blocked bow. I am scheduled for surgery. And I said, If God heals you, will you serve Him for the rest of your life? Brother Shook, when she made that covenant with God, she said, Yes, I will. She couldn't even get yes, I will all the way out before the Holy Ghost was already touching her. That's the truth. She started speaking in tongues right there. I'd never even seen her before. She was forgiven. God filled her with his spirit. And she did not have to have surgery. God healed her before the surgery. That's right. That's right. Let me tell you something I know about the history of this church. And this, we care about you. Because we love you the way God loves you. And he cares about you. He loves you this much. He gave his life for you. Do you believe that? As we go down this line and pray, there's going to be people touched. You're going to feel it come over you. I want every single one of you, if, if God heals you, will you serve him the rest of your life? Will you make a covenant? With all of you in this room, make a covenant right now. In the name of Jesus. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and say, God, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking you to touch my life and my situation. I'm trusting this situation in your hands to be healed. Go ahead, Elder Melik, ministry. Go ahead and begin to anoint one by one in the name of Jesus. This church, would you stretch your hands forth and begin to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worshiping him all over the building.